Open your Bibles to Daniel chapter uh, 4. I want to just review something briefly with you today. And I don't plan on spending much time on the past as much as I'm going to just plow forward in these next few minutes. We're talking about in this study about a harvest and how every now and then you're fighting something you did or something that came into your life years ago. Maybe you didn't necessarily intentionally do it, but it just showed up. Um, the analogy, or well, let me start here. The title is called, repeat it completely, say fighting. fighting. A, bad a bad harvest. Here's the word again. again. <laughs> you ever just said, is this back again? I thought I cleaned this up. I thought I paid this off. You ever have one of those bills that just keeps coming back at you again and again every year, every six months or however often? You ever dealt with a kid or an issue and you thought they learned that lesson and now we're here again, right? Again. Again and again. It's always frustrating when you're here again. Sometimes you take a deep breath, you sigh, and you go, come on, I can't believe I'm here. When? Again, yeah, again. Well, a lot of times what, what's lost in understanding that is the generational impact of what we inherited from the past. The subtitle is, What Harvest Are You? Well, really, I call it Passing Your Harvest to the Next Generation. Say that with me, please. Come on. Passing Your Harvest to the Next Generation. Every generation passes something to the next. And sometimes it comes again and again and again because they, they got something from us that keeps repeating itself. You look around the family and another person's drunk now. Another person's getting high. Another, person, another person's in trouble. Another person. And if you look back, you can see the seeds of that. I don't take anything. Get in my face, I'll get in your face. That means jail time eventually. You don't understand that, right? Because sometimes you've got to back that up, and then you back it up, and you're in front of the judge, and you have to explain why you hit them with the hammer. It made me mad. Okay, that's a good reason. Maybe to you, but not to the judge. But that's inherited. You sit your kids down and say, now listen, don't let anybody... If they do you like that, then you know what you got to take care of your business. So your kid develops this attitude and ends up hurting somebody in a way. I'm not saying you should be wimpy. I'm not saying, because I don't believe in unnecessary persecution. Y'all did figure out I do believe in security, right? <laughs> I don't believe in that. I don't know. I do fight. But, I, I, and I say that honestly. Don't even tell them. I mean, I'm, I know, well, I can lie to you, but I, I don't like getting hit, and I don't want anybody hitting me. I want to try to negotiate. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. But, so I'll say that because I want you to be wimpy, and, and I, don't think, I don't believe that. I, I, I don't think that's necessary. There are moments you can't do anything about it, but I think everybody has a right to not be assaulted. Now, everybody got the spirit of what I just said? Don't take that wrong. Okay, somebody take that wrong now. But, but, but I'm saying there's a, there's a price you pay when you raise up your children to be offensive, to be overly aggressive. When you create that culture, you sow a seed, and then it rises up and becomes something that you didn't plan for it to be. And sometimes what you are in this generation becomes amplified in the next. What you do in this generation becomes something that you can't control in the next generation or the next three or four generations in your family. And here's where you see it. If you're a school teacher and you, you deal with kids, uh, and then you see their parents and their grandkids, you see the trends. You see the behaviors that started back with their parent that you raised, you, you nurtured, you taught them to read. 
and now you're dealing with their grandchildren. And it's really phenomenal. It's the same. Police officers will tell you they have arrested the parents, they arrested the grandparents, they arrested the grandchildren. They've arrested the whole gener all three generations. And it's a trained culture. It's a trained behavior. Pregnancy runs in a family. It's, it's amazing. It runs in a family. All the girls get pregnant. All the, all the guys get somebody pregnant. Everybody, it's, it's, it's generational. It's what we do. It's how we live. And so the question I want you to think about is, what are you passing? What harvest are you passing to the next generation? The same way you have had trouble in marriage, look at, look at the family tradition. Everybody gets divorced. Eventually, nobody ever stays in a relationship. Ultimately, at some point, there comes this, we don't like being married. That's the new thing now. Well, we just won't get married. We live together. And so everybody starts living together. And the statistics on the survivability, I think it's like five years or so, they just, it just doesn't last as long as you hoped it would. And there are reasons for that. There's reasons for why it doesn't work. Uh, there, there's all kinds of things uh, that just become generational. And so the question I want you to think about today is what are you passing to the next generation? Are you passing a bad harvest? Eventually, when it grows up, it will not be what you expected it to be. And if that's the case, what can you do about it? So I want to show you a guy in the book of um, Daniel chapter 4. We talked about last week very briefly. Daniel 4, verse 34 through 35, talks about Nebuchadnezzar, who would learn from his bad harvest. He rebelled against God, became very uplifted, and one day he was walking um, out in the middle of his courtyard and looking around and, and said, oh, look at all the great Babylon that I have built. In chapter 4, you can read it on your own in Daniel chapter 4. And then um, he is uh, struck down, uh, loses his mind for seven years, and after seven years, he, he comes to himself. And here's what happens. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes. This is verse 34 of Daniel chapter 4. And, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. His kingdom from, is from generation to generation. And go down to verse 30, 35. It says, no one can restrain his hand. Here's a guy who comes to his senses and says, hey, I was arrogant. I was uplifted. I lost sight of who gave me the kingdom. And all of a sudden, I'm Nebuchadnezzar. King of Babylon comes to himself, and he's changed. In this moment, he's changed. Now, I didn't say he got saved. He just understood who not to mess with. You understand? It became clear. You would think this would be passed to his children, his children. But we're going to see that that didn't happen. In Daniel chapter 5, the second generation forgets the past history. And really, to be totally honest, probably shouldn't have said second generation, just said the next generations would be more accurate. Because Belshazzar is not really his son, it's his grandson. There are like four other guys in between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. And somehow in between these guys, there is this hope, there's this hope that maybe you saw what your grandfather went through and you wouldn't duplicate it. But in chapter 5, he does something that was even beyond what his grandfather did. Listen to what happened. Belshazzar, uh, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. How many lords did he have? A thousand. thousand, yeah. And drank wine in the presence of, of the thousand. And while he tasted his wine, the wine, Belshazzar gave the command, bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar, grandfather, had taken from the temple 
which, he had, which had been in Jerusalem, uh, that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Now, this is a really important point, and one of the things I want to say and give credit, because we do these what we call sermon reviews, and so one of our smart, smart scholarly people who study with me pointed out to me this historical fact about it being his grandfather can fool you because it says son. And so we had this great discussion about how, how this guy comes to this moment and does something his grandfather would never do. You know, there's certain things that are just sacred, and he knew that they had they had conquered Israel, and they were, you know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These, they were the slaves during this cult, during this time. And um, no, no king, before, nobody else, no, his grandfather, no, no other king had done this. But he sent and said, give me the, the holy uh, vessels of Israel. Go get the, and I want to drink wine out of them. Now, there's no need to do this. You've got other gold stuff you can drink out of. This is a sign of great disrespect, and I'm going to worship other gods while I drink from it. Now, this is a moment where it becomes personal. Because you should have learned from your grandfather. You know, sometimes in your family, you have to understand, your family has already been given a warning. You've already been given examples. You've had tragedies. You've had people, you know, go to jail. You've had things happen. So you don't really have an excuse. You know what can happen to you. He watched, he watched his grand, he, he, he watched, her, or rather heard the stories of his grandfather. And it's amazing how all of a sudden now, you don't remember anymore. And so the world changed. And when the world changed, it changed right in front of him. Now I want you to watch what happened here. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Now he's sitting there, and all of a sudden something happens. Something transpires that's amazing. His, he sees his hand come up, and the hand starts writing on the wall while he's drinking. Now, now I, want, I want to tell you what happened. It's pretty powerful. Look, look down. I, I put it in bold prints for you. You notice it's uh, chapter um, 5, verse, uh, verse 5. It said, uh, verse 6, rather. And the king's countenance changed, verse 6. And his thoughts troubled him. I love this. So that the joints of his hips were loosened. And his knees knocked against each other. Hips loose. Knees knocking. Handwriting. And what's interesting is he didn't know what this meant. So he's standing there and he calls together all these people. And you can read on your own later. He calls all these people together and he says, hey, can you tell me what this means? Nobody can tell him what it means. No, none of the astrologers, none of the, none of the wise guys. And so they finally, you know, his wife in verse 10, under number one in your notes, Daniel's handpicked and says, hey, can you interpret this? The queen says that, you know, you need to go and get Daniel. Verse 10, the queen spoke saying, O king, forever, do not let your heart be troubled. What you need is, you need to go get Daniel. I'm paraphrasing it. That's what he says. Go get Daniel. Daniel can tell you what this means. Now, this is amazing. Daniel was the same guy who watched Nebuchadnezzar go through this. Now Daniel is standing there, and Daniel says to his grandson, you know, okay, here we are again. You ever seen the story repeat itself? Daniel had something that I think a lot of us forget. The power of a good name. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. The power of a good name. Proverbs 22 and 1 says a good name is worth more than silver and gold. Very valuable. And so Daniel was brought, 
verse 13, before the king, the king spoke and said to Daniel, are you Daniel, that Daniel who is one of the captives from Judah, and whom my father, the king, brought from Judah? I've heard of you. This is a guy who's been there since he's a teenager. And he's found a way, I love this part, he found a way to be successful in an unfavorable environment. So I really don't think some of you need to change jobs because your job's difficult. I think you need to change you. Sometimes you need to stay where you are because it's the best place for you today and change you. Change the way you think, the way you engage the company. Smile, scare everybody tomorrow and go with a happy spirit. <laughs> Act like you really wanted the job and you did ask them to hire you, right? They didn't hunt you down. You hunted them down, right? And promised to be joyful. So Daniel is a guy, catch this now, in slavery, who's famous for having a good attitude. He's famous for having something that has made him successful for years in a place that was not favorable, in a circumstance that was not fair. They changed his name. They, they took away his freedom. But he found a way to be free in the midst of a bondage. It's an amazing story. So Daniel comes. Verse 14 says, I've heard of you, he says, and Daniel sets out and lays an important foundation because the king offers rewards for all of this. If you tell me who it is, I want you to read this because this is very important. I've heard of you, verse 16 said, that you, you gave interpretations and explained enigmas. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, this is so important. You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall not be and shall be the. Third ruler, where? In the kingdom. This is another great point one of our great scholars pointed out as we were restudying this beforehand. It's so powerful, I love it. Third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. This is not about money for me. I'll tell you this, but it's not for sale. I really think there's a time when you need to not worry about the financial part of it. Daniel reminds the second generation, he said, and I want you to listen to this history lesson. In verse 18 of chapter 5 of Daniel, he reminds them of where he came from. You know, what can really help a family sometimes is when you remember where you came from. You know, you really forget sitting on the porch, grandmama's house, or the lessons you learned, or how hungry you used to be, and how you didn't always have the nice clothes and the nice car. Remember that. Or the education. Here's what he said, O king, most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. Verse 19, because of his majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he, wis he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But, verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till, the, till he knew that the most high God rules in, in the kingdom of men. And appoints over it whomever he chooses. So let me just remind you that your granddaddy went through a lesson that you should have learned from. Now this is important. Verse, verse 22. He gives them what they needed, which was a generational rebuke. This generation had forgotten something. And so here's what he says, verse 22. But you, but you his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. 
You've not humbled your heart. Although you knew all this. I'm not telling you anything you didn't know. This is all information you were clear about. But what happened is, all of a sudden now, you have praised the gods of silver, verse, uh, down, down a little bit in the verse there in, in bold print. You praise, verse 23, you praise the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron and wood and stone. So now you're, you are a generation that's forgotten God. And then he sets out to simply give them the interpretation. And here it is. The bottom line of what I'm going to explain to you that he said to him was, you are a generation out of balance. Say it with me, please. Come on. You are a generation out of balance. And it is so incredibly true when you look up close at this generation and you see. But, but understand, we sowed the seed. Do not separate yourself from what we now have because we were a part in our partying days of sowing the seeds. I used to wonder, why is the graduation rate so low? Why is the college graduation rate so low? Why are so many dropping out of high school? Oh, it's because of the children. Oh, that's why, right? It's all the children. It's always the children, right? Why are kids hanging out in the street late at night? Oh, it's the children's fault, right? All the children. The children went overseas and got the drugs and brought it over here, right? The children got a plane, <clears throat> a boat. The children drove over and brought it over. The children did that, right? The children. The children organized the drug trade. The children did. The children did that, right? The children. It's the children, right? The children are the ones. The children run the schools. The children. The children run every. No, is it the children or who? Who is it? No, it's not. It's, it's adult people who now are witnessing a harvest that they have to take some credit for. Belshazzar was sowing a harvest that was now going to be incredibly different than his grandfather's harvest. Here's going to be the difference before I read the interpretation. Grandfather was given 12 months after God first warned him in our last sermon, I share with you, to change. He gets no time. Time he drinks from that cup, a hand appears. No 12-month warning. It gets shorter and shorter. And so all of a sudden now, Daniel looks at him and he says, well, let me tell you what it means. Here you go. He said, uh, verse 424, and I want you to just follow me here. This is incredible. Verse 24, then the fingers of the hand that were from him and his writing was written, and this is the interpretation that was written. This is it. This is what was written for you. He said, many, many to count ephrazen. This is the interpretation of each word. Many, God numbered your kingdom and finished it. To count. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Wow. It's pretty strong. There's something out of balance in you, and I am taking from you what you have. Sometimes, and I've said this for the last few weeks, could it be some of the lack? Could it be that this is because of a harvest we've sown? Could the lack of money, could the lack of resources be that God said, I'm not funding that church anymore? 
They can sell all the chicken and the barbecue they want. I will not fund them. I will not give them money. I will not give them people who will give them money. I will send those people to overcome by faith. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. That's bad. I'm sorry. I'm bad. Bad preacher. Bad preacher. No, I believe that. I believe that if we do certain things as a church, God will send all the tithes someplace else. If we don't live right, if I got a girlfriend on the side and all that kind of stuff, I think that God unfunds those places. I think God unanoints people. They, they can preach, they can talk, but it seems just like there's something wrong with it. And you can't figure out why I can't get ahead, why I can't get above, what in the world. And I believe that there's certain things you can do. I, I believe, for example, if I'm, if I'm unkind to my wife, 1 Peter chapter 3 says that God will not hear my prayers. My prayers will bounce off the ceiling if, I, if I'm not kind, if I don't do what God tells me to do. I believe there's a direct link between my actions and my results. You get that in the natural world, right? You go to work 40 hours, you get expected to get paid. If you don't do what God says, if you live the way you want to live, then you, there's a direct link. I am so amazed. I'm telling you, next month when I do the series on, on <laughs> I tell you, don't come to church next month, right? The whole month. Stay out for September. Stay tainted. I'm not going to church all September because he's talking about sex. <laughs> Bedroom blindness. And I'm going to talk about it, and I'm telling you, it's amazing. I, I counsel people, I talk to people all the time. They do not see a link between being sexually active and unmarried and God's, God's blessing. It's like, well, God, God, knows, God loves everybody. They, but there is a direct link between the choices you make and God's blessing, God's ability to use you, his capacity to trust you. There's something profound about what we do as a church when we make certain decisions. Blessings do not follow sin. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, sins of reproach. Now, we all make mistakes. We all have flaws. I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying God expects us to be perfect. But he does want us to be honest. There's something about being honest. And this is a guy who's not being honest. This is a guy who knows better. And this is a guy who's decided he's got some past. He's got some kind of right. It doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, and I don't know, we, we, we take the Bible, we take God's word, and we, we create what we want to create. And I believe there's a direct link to what we sometimes go through in life and the seed we sow. And I have to back up and say, you know, a lot of the pains physically have nothing to do with the devil. Zero. It has to do with chocolate and food and no exercise and not moving enough and laying around all the time. It's got nothing to do with the devil. If you really want to be effective in your prayer, you need to say, I bind this Milky Way in the name of Jesus. I cast out these potato chips. <laughs> Even though all that stuff is good in moderation, but you understand all that stuff is good in what? moderation but you know some of us are out of control and so every now and then you have to back up and say is there a direct link between the strife in my home and my attitude and the way I approach people the way I communicate and the way I the way I get mad when you don't agree with me and I feel like I have a right to be mad with you you know sometimes Diane doesn't agree with me I pray for her when she doesn't but there are times <laughs> when she doesn't agree with me and and when she doesn't I have to ask myself Temple are you mad because she doesn't agree with you what right do you have to be that angry because you showed her God's word and you explained it in eloquent language and she still doesn't agree? Can she be different, sir? Is that possible? Is it okay in your manual for her to be Diane in her own skin? 
That there's something about getting that. There's something about understanding the link. This guy doesn't get it. He doesn't get the link. Man, you, you know better, you know better, you know better, and you still won't do better. And, and I understand that, too. I understand weaknesses. I understand struggle. I understand failure. I get it. I'm not trying to throw any rocks at anybody. But am I passing something to the next generation that's going to hurt them? Is this, is this going beyond me? It is in this case. And there's this amazing moment that happens that's just tragic. This generation has no more chances. Verse 29, Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple. Chapter 5, verse 29, they clothed him with purple, chain of gold around his neck, made him a proclamation concerning him that he should now be third, the third ruler in the kingdom. Okay, so Daniel gets the promotion after telling this prophecy. Okay, that's great. Uh, he didn't repent, though. Notice that. He didn't say, oh, you know, you know it's, I need to do, I'm going to, I'm sorry. You're, he didn't fall on his face. He didn't call a fast. He didn't do anything. That, that sounds right, Daniel. I bet that's right. Okay, please see this. A hand <laughs> writes on the wall. I mean, this is like really spooky. I mean, come on, man. This is like, if, if, there, if there was a time to repent, this is the time. Are you, are you tracking with me? This is the time. You know, and you, you, they, they looked at you and they said, you have the right to remain silent. We're arresting you for this felony. That's the time to say, Father, in Jesus' name. <laughs> I really need to get saved right now. <laughs> I mean, do you understand? I mean, you, you, you're in a wreck. Something, I don't know what happened to you. I don't know what happened to you. But think about it. Why didn't you repent? This guy won't say sorry. This guy won't repent. And so watch what happens. Verse 30, the very night, chapter 5, verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. And Darius, the Medes, received the kingdom. A 62-year-old guy named Darius comes and takes over and kills Belshazzar that night. Now, I want you to think about this. You wonder if that wouldn't have happened if he had repented. You wonder if, if that wouldn't have happened if he had had a different attitude. You know, sometimes you see tragic outcomes in people's lives, but you don't know how they got there. Like I told you last week, you know, watch the clock. How much time do you have? This is, this is not made to me. I'm not trying to make you sad. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to say, please understand the power of what you pass to the next generation. And please understand that oftentimes the next generation doesn't get as long as you had to change. Grandparents are seeing it with their grandchildren. They don't have as long. You know, there's this great line in the Bible that people often misunderstood. When, when, if you remember when Noah got, got drunk, right? He drank the wine, and, he, and uh, he looked, and he said, cursed be Ham, right? And people said, you know, Ham was the father of black people, so that's why they're cursed, and that's why their skin is dark. It's all crazy. That's totally wrong. He was talking about um, the Canaanites. He was talking about the people that, as a matter of fact, he was talking about his grandson. He was trying to say, I want you, Crispy Canaan, he said, exact to be exact. He didn't say Crispy Ham, Crispy Canaan, which is Ham's son. He said, you know, the spirit in you 
because if you remember the story, um, <laughs> Noah got really excited because God had blessed him, and so he started drinking, and he drank till his clothes came off. <laughs> True story, okay? And you got to watch how you celebrate. So, when, and his sons came in, they looked, oh, daddy's naked. Okay. So then they, <laughs> they took a cloth and they covered him up. But Ham's like, hey! He was looking at his dad, mocking him, sort of, and he looked at him, and it was improper the way he looked at his father. And when his father came to his senses, he said, he looked at him, he, looked at him, he said, you know what? He didn't say crispy ham, he said crispy Canaan. That same spirit's in your son. Grandparents have seen it. You've seen the same, you see a spirit, an attitude, and, and I'm telling you, families, you can see the seed going in the soil. You can see it when they're little. You see it rising up in them. This is why I challenge you to take this message and ask yourself, what are we doing? Maybe it's time to have a family prayer meeting. Maybe it's time to talk to God and say, what are we doing? What are we planting? Are we planting something that will be generationally hard to manage? I, I, I want to close with this, this thought. It's so easy to, in the political season, say, we're going to get the mayor on the hot seat and say, all right, mayor, what are you doing about crime? Police chief on the hot seat. Get everybody on the hot seat as if they have something to do with your family dynamics. And I'm not saying there's not something they should do. I'm not saying there's some responsibility they, 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 that they have. I agree with that. I think there's, it's proven that if you increase police patrols, if you have you know, community policing, it lowers crime. I understand all that's true. I get that. But I want you to understand it doesn't remove it. The real issue is your family dynamics. The real issue is the way you raise your children. The real issue is how we as a culture have adapted certain behaviors that work against our goals. And, and we want to somehow take all that responsibility and put it on the teacher. The teacher is not responsible for your child being able to read and not read. The teacher is not responsible for the behavior your child comes to school with. I mean, I, I, mean, I understand I've raised kids. I get it. And I pastor thousands, I mean, over the years. I understand, and I have gone to court with kids. I've seen kids do amazing things, and I understand. But sometimes you have to back up. And Pastor Rick said, suppose I did my best, and the kid went astray. Well, now you can relate to God. He did his best, and look what happened in your life. <laughs> so you can understand that dynamic. Surely you can. He did his best. He sent a Savior, died on the cross. Come on, people. Gave you a Bible, church. He did all he could. And you still didn't totally respond. So don't be too shocked when your kids don't do everything you say. But what I want you to identify is the things that you know are bad seed. The things that you know lead to a bad harvest. And the things that you can adjust. What is my part? What is my part? And what can I do to make sure that I don't sow anything else that could lead to a bad harvest? And so maybe I should step back and let all of that go because that's not going to be good. And maybe those things I've been holding in my heart, I need to let all of that go because that's not going to be good. And maybe, maybe it's time for me to start thinking about going in a forward direction in my attitude. Maybe it's time for me to see the role that I can play. I said something, and, and a lot of people have you know, teased me about it, and, I, and I, in this grandfather thing, this new thing I'm in, I'm, I'm a rookie granddaddy. But I'll tell you what's really got me stirred in my head is I observe things. And I notice that most people start out really great out of the box, you know. And they brag about their kids or their grandkids or their family. But they don't 
they don't run the whole race. They don't have a long-term strategy. They have a short-term excitement. And so a lot of granddaddies are really excited on the front end, and they're cute, and they show pictures for a few weeks, and then after that, they haven't called them. You know, I mean, I want you to understand, there's something in my heart that says, come on, Temple, what kind of, what kind of husband are you going to be? Really excited on wedding night, and really excited a couple of weeks, or are you going to be really excited? We got a couple in here. Uh, it's their first wedding anniversary, and he came to church. I'm so excited about you coming to church. Come up here for a second. Yeah, he's on the sound booth, but who cares? Is your wife in the service? Come up here, come up here, come up here, come up here. This is their first wedding anniversary today, right? And they're in church, isn't that cool? Come up here. I'm, I, uh, come up here. Grab the mic since you're a sound guy, come up here. He's an engineer by day and a sound guy by even by church. Isn't that great? He's a smart guy. And Miss Yolanda works for, she's over advertising. And, you know, it's for you. Yeah. Tell them your name. Good morning, everyone. My name is Cal Elliott. This is my wife, Yolanda Elliott. And you've been married for? One year today. Come on. Now, just so you know, they got some grand plans working. I, you know, he got all kinds of stuff working, I heard. I'm really excited about that for them. But I just thought it was great that you took a minute to come out to church. And you took a minute to say, it's really great. And I'm so glad that after a year, I'm telling you, you're happy and you look good and you're smiling. And may God continue to bless your marriage. Happy anniversary. Give them a big hand. Thank you. Come on, Thank, you. Thank you. I saw Cal almost kiss her, but he held it back. I saw him. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. I'm glad you know we in church. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I appreciate y'all being wise about that. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Sorry. Back in the spirit now. Back in the spirit. There's a seed song. When you approach life a certain way. There's a seed song that can transform future generations. If they continue to sow the seed they've sown in their marriage, 35 years from now, like I'll be celebrating this December, they'll be able to say, this feels good. So I want to challenge some of you that are in relationships. Review the seed you're sowing. Find the joy that you saw in these two young people again. You can, it can live again but not on your own. You look at them and you say, wow, they have a lot to face in front of them, children, life. But it can be good. We can sow a harvest that we like. I had a professor who told me a story, and I'm done after I say this, that was so profound. In the middle of class on church administration, I never forget it, it was a night served class, and she, and she looked up and she started to cry. It was really powerful. She started to just cry, and she said, students, students, students. Dorothy Jean Furlong's her name. Dr. Dorothy Jean. And she looked in. She's never been married before. She's given her whole life to full-time ministry. And she said, I have no regrets. Some things I never did. And because I didn't do those things, I don't have those thoughts in my mind. I don't have those regrets that I have to fight off. And she started to cry. It was really powerful. It was, it was totally surprised. Came out of nowhere. I don't know where we were in the lesson, but I remember 
standing sitting there as a college, I think, sophomore, and I remember thinking, boy, what amazing testimony. If I just don't sow that seed, I won't have those thoughts. If you can go back, some of you in your life, you would tell yourself, don't sow this seed. This is a bad harvest. And this will, this, this will be what I think about when I'm trying to move on. It's so bad because the enemy just replays the tape, play the tape. Every time you start moving forward and you feel good about yourself, he says, play the tape. Every time you try to get someplace, he just say, plays the tape. You went to jail and now every time you got to apply for a job, man, you got to play that tape. You got to explain again. You got to somehow argue that you've changed. And now all of your life you're sitting there trying to stop this dumb tape from playing over and over again in your mind. But I remember this Dorothy Jean Furlong. I remember her looking at me. And it was so amazing. I never forgot. I saw her several years ago, a couple of years ago, when I was doing the back and forth two church thing, coast to coast from California and back here and back. And she saw me at a reunion, a class reunion. She was about close to 90. She had a cane. She walked up to me. She says, Ricky Temple. And she whacked me with the cane. <laughs> no, I mean, no, I don't mean, she, no, I don't mean a light. I mean like a whoop And then she said, well, what are you doing with two churches? I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Sit down here and tell me what you're doing. She said, okay, I got you now. But she hit me first. <laughs> Every now and then in your life, you meet somebody and you say, I want that in my life. And you say, well, Pastor, I've got a whole lot of regrets. Well, here's the deal. Let's not create any new ones. How about from here forward, we're going to say, Jesus, I'm going to bring my life to you and I'm going to let you help me build a new harvest. Next week. I'm going to close this out with a series that, that I think is a sermon that I think is so helpful. It's called Fighting with the Right Attitude. Daniel chapter 6, you can read ahead of me. And I'm going to show you how Daniel's attitude changed everything in his life. Your attitude will determine what you plan in your life. I used to tell my kids, and I said, an attitude is the key to success, a good attitude. And for a lot of you, if you take this sermon next week and apply it to your life, you're going to be amazed at how your life can change, your marriage, your friendships, your relationship with your children. And you know what? Even with yourself, because you don't just have an attitude with others. Sometimes you're having it with yourself. Father, I pray the message we've heard today helps us. I pray it lifts our mind, lifts our vision, and shows us another way to live. I believe that you've called us to freedom. I believe you've called us to wholeness. And I ask you in Jesus' name, to do for us what only you can do. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you that Jesus died so that we can be free. I thank you that he came to give us a chance to have a new beginning. And so I pray for people today who've come to this service and they've come with a concern, an issue in their life. They've sown a harvest. Some are afraid that they could be at that place well, Belshazzar is. Well, the good part is they still have a chance. The fact that they're here today, the fact that they're watching this on streaming, wherever they are on demand, wherever they are, the Holy Spirit brought them here for a reason. He brought them here so that he can, they, can, they can stop where they are and say, let me change what I'm passing to the next generation. 
And so, Father, I pray for those who don't know you as Savior. May this be the moment they say, Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. I also pray for people who need to rededicate their lives. They started with God, but now they've strayed. And they need to start a brand new walk with God and say, Lord, I need you in my life. And some, Father, their issue is they just don't have the right friends around. They're not a part of a tribe or a family of people, and they need to be a member of a church or a place where they can grow. And so I pray that this would be a day that some would have the courage to say, I need to make that next step. I need to be a part of this family or a part of a family if they're watching someplace else in another city. But they need to say, I need to, I need, I need to connect with some people that are going in the same direction I want to go in. And so, Father, I pray for all these needs in the name of Jesus. And everybody say amen. amen. There's something new that I've, I started doing. This